0: Well, there's an old story, and I don't know who first told it, uh, nor do I know where it came from, but it kind of goes like this. A long time ago, there was a carpenter, uh, a master carpenter, in fact, and he went into the house building business. He was very, very good at it. He did it for a long, long time, many years working for the same employer. Finally, he got to a point where he decided he wanted to retire, he uh, just had, had enough of building homes, and so he told his boss, and the boss said, okay, but there is one more home I need you to build. Uh, it was on a beautiful lot, it had a magnificent view. The boss wanted this house to be a dream house, and so he insisted that the master carpenter build it before he retired. You know, after this house, you can retire, and so the carpenter agreed kind of reluctantly. This would be his last build, but his heart was not in it, not from the start. He resented actually having to do this work and he sort of cut corners as he was doing it. He got sloppy. He substituted good materials for bad materials and particle board, you know, for solid wood and plastic pipes for what should have been copper and walls weren't quite plumb the way they normally would be. He cut corners that he would never, ever normally have cut. And when he finished, he shook the hand of his boss, said, there you go. And the boss handed him an envelope because after all they had worked many many years together and when he opened it he found to his shock the deed to this house to this property the one he had just built and he did not know the house that he had been building with so much resentment and such a grudging spirit and so much dishonesty and shoddy work was the place where he would have to spend the rest of his years And day after day, he had been given the opportunity to create something truly magnificent, something completely unique, but he threw that chance of a lifetime away. And this all happened a long time ago in a faraway place. If it had happened here in Denver, you could have simply sold that miserable hovel for a million bucks and moved to Arkansas. (laughs) But this carpenter in this story was deeply sad because he had done this to himself. And he would spend the rest of his life living in a place that he built carelessly, resentfully, grudgingly, joyously, without integrity. And here's the point. You see, our character, friends, is the house we live in. It's the house... That matters. It's the house that we build. Every one of us, one day at a time, one choice at a time, on purpose or by accident, for better or for worse. We build it, every one of us, every day, by how we spend our time, by the words that we speak, by the words that we listen to, by the people we love and the people we ignore, by the thoughts that we allow to occupy our minds. I am building my life, and when I cut corners, when I compromise my integrity, when I build as I do sometimes with foolishness, resentment, and ego, and pettiness, and self, and short-sightedness, I am creating the future that I will live in, understand? And here's the deal. You are building your house too. And so here's the question for you. How is your house going? What does the build look like? The writers of the Bible were keenly interested in questions of this nature. You know, what does a well-lived life look like? How do human beings flourish? What is wise? What is foolishness? What is right? What is wrong? That's part of what Paul is interested in when he writes his first letter to the church at Corinth. He wanted everybody to build their lives in ways that first and foremost honored God in ways that actually mattered and made a difference because he knew that that was the way for a human being to truly flourish. And Paul, if you know anything about him, an interesting character, definitely an entrepreneur, loves starting new things and developing and building new things. Definitely a hard worker, definitely a brilliant thinker. Read some of his epistles Some of his letters, Uh, definitely a disciplined and competitive individual, a high achiever. Early in his life, he was looking for status. He was looking for reputation. He was looking for personal honor uh, and he was getting it. He said this about himself. He said, I was advancing in Judaism. That is in the practice of my religion. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age. Paul's comparing himself. He's watching the progress that others are making. He's comparing himself to that. And he's saying, I'm doing better than them. I was at least. Paul was advancing above others. Paul was on the road to success and achievement and influence and power and all of the things that came with the hard work that he was doing. But then Paul met Jesus. Paul became a Jesus follower. And he discovered a, a whole different way to design a life, to orient a life. There's a popular course at Stanford University. Some of you may know about this. It's been written up in several books, that, uh, each of which became a New York Times bestseller. Uh, it's called Designing Your Life. It's an attempt to help students and now professionals and really uh, all kinds of people, people of all stripes and backgrounds, figure out what kind of life they actually want to build. And uh, they assign you some reflective readings, you know, help guide your thoughts in this. They ask you lots of questions to make you think. They help you assess your strengths, your, your weaknesses, your beliefs and so. And they're trying to get you to figure out what your values are and what matters most to you and what you should or shouldn't pursue with your life based on your skills and abilities. And when they do that, more often than not, people choose to build their lives around things like reputation, having a respectable reputation, or status, or honor, or accomplishments, or wealth, or power, always, of course, to achieve world peace, end poverty, and stop global warming. But friends, there's another way to design a human life, and it's the way that Paul discovered in Jesus And not surprisingly, it's quite counterintuitive. And it centers around things like humility. It centers around things like honoring God first and foremost. It centers around things like sacrificial love of others. Dying to self, dying to ego. And it's a cross-shaped life. It's the cruciform life that we've been talking about now for a few weeks. And Paul talks about this in his letter to the church at Corinth. He actually mentions it a number of times in several different ways. Uh, This morning, I want to examine what Paul says about how you and I ought to design our lives so that what we do will last. And so that what we do will actually matter when our lives are over. And so that how we live will have purpose and meaning. Because after all, you only have this one chance to build. These are, these are Paul's words to the church at Corinth. He says, For we are co workers in God's service, and you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Now, those are Paul's words inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's obvious, I I think, that Paul's primary concern here is, of course, the church, the building of the church, how we serve and how we minister uh, in the church. In the church at Corinth, there were divisions, lots of them, apparently. There were also debates, lots of those too. And there was sin in their midst that everybody knew about, but everybody was ignoring. Uh, Paul is concerned for these people who make up the church, the body of Christ, there in Corinth. He wants them to understand that their divisions and their debates and this sin that they are so foolishly ignoring, this stuff is destroying them. It's destructive to the temple of God, the body of Christ. And Jesus' body is the place where the Spirit of God dwells. And so if you follow Jesus, you are part of God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you. And God's spirit has a purpose. God's spirit has a plan. God's spirit wants to guide you, teach you, empower you, and equip you to be like Jesus, to sacrificially love others and serve them. In other words, God's spirit wants to help you construct your life in a way that consistently honors our heavenly father. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those house hunting shows on TV, I found there are dozens of these things. These are super popular. There's uh, the House Hunters, House Hunters International, House Hunters Renovation, uh, Lakefront Bargain Hunt, uh, Beachfront Bargain Hunt. And the list just goes on and on and on. You get the idea of people looking to relocate, people looking for homes, usually bigger homes, better homes, or better location. And Paul says, if you follow Jesus, understand this, he literally says it, you are God's building. It's as if God wants to move from up there to down here. And oddly enough, his dream dwelling house is you. Let that sink in for a minute. God wants to dwell in you and in me. Now, of course, we're not fit to be God's dwelling, let alone God's dream house. Not yet. We're serious, serious fixer uppers. Uh, We need serious renovation. Uh, We are under construction, and that is an understatement, friends. And here's the deal. There is a sense in which you choose the materials that you will use to build your life. Get this. You will do this. Not your circumstances. It's not your circumstances that build your life. It's you. Preferably in cooperation with and surrender to the Holy Spirit. Paul lists six different materials in this passage, but really you can divide these things into two groups, two categories. There's a gold, silver, precious gems, or stones group. These are the materials that Paul says are going to stand up to the fire. fire in the Bible very often is an image of the judgment of God, the clearing away on God's part of what is evil from what is good. And that's what's being pictured here in this passage. God's penetrating and discerning ability to always know exactly what is good, what is right, what is evil. And he will punish what is evil. Uh, Gold, silver, precious stones are the materials that when used will stand up to the truth. Up to this test of what is right and what is good and what is wrong. and, And up to the judgment of God. They will endure the fire and continue on enduring wood hay straw stubble on the contrary are materials that will not stand that test of fire and building your life which you and I will do inevitably are doing is not mostly a matter of the circumstances out there that come at us which so often we think it is now so often we think our lives are about what kind of incomes we have Uh, Who enabled you to get that income or what kind of vocational opportunities are in front of you, what kind of job you have, how high your IQ is or how high your GPA was going through school or what your body shape is, how attractive you are, what we can accomplish or what goes on a resume. But when we think that way, friends, we aren't thinking correctly or clearly. In fact, we're wrong. Our lives are really about our character. That's what matters. It's the quality of my inner life that matters most of all. It's the the kind of thoughts and desires and intentions and habits that I give myself to, that I occupy my time with, my effort with, my energies with, that matter most about me. Gang, we live in a place and a time and a culture that doesn't believe a single word of what I just said. Not a single word. Character in our day doesn't matter very much. I mean, if you can coach and get results, well, if you can make sales, if you can meet quotas, if you can grow the bottom line, if you can get the job done, if you can build a really big church, well... That's what matters most. And if you lack character, well, that's unfortunate. I mean, that's too bad. But at least you get the job done. And that's what's celebrated in our culture. And I am here to tell you that money and titles and offices and power, these things are just dust and ashes in comparison with character. They will be gone in the blink of an eye the moment you die. Your character, however, will go with you right on into eternity. Understand, some people with great-looking outer lives are actually living, spiritually speaking, in a hovel. Uh, Some people who appear very unimpressive in worldly terms, in our culture's eyes are building characters that that look a lot like the character of Jesus. And we mistakenly think that what matters to God are the things that we do for God, the things we accomplish for him in his name or our achievements. But I'm here to tell you that is not true. Dallas Willard, somebody I quote a lot, somebody I, I really respect, somebody who passed away just a few years ago said this. He said, the main thing God gets out of your life is the person you become. I think that's incredibly insightful. The main thing God gets out of your life and mine is not our resume, it's not our accomplishments, it's the people we become. And that, by the way, is also the main thing that you and I get out of our lives. As I said, that will be the one thing you take with you right on into eternity. The text that we're looking at this morning forces us, I think, to grapple probably with many questions, but I'm gonna hone in on at least two that are certainly put kind of under our nose as we think about what Paul is saying here. In light of the cross, the the cruciform life, we're faced with these questions. And the first is this with what will I build my life? What are the building materials? What are the tools God gives me to use for the building of my character? What are the qualities of spirit that a wise carpenter, a master carpenter would choose to use? And you could answer this question in a number of different ways. I mean, we could talk about tools and I could have made this whole sermon just about the tools uh, that we can use to build our lives because God has given us tools. I mean, things like exciting things like reading the Bible. That's a tool. That's a gift. You live in a generation right now. If you, how many here have a smartphone? How many here are on it right now? Uh-huh, yeah. That smartphone gives you access to dozens, if not hundreds of versions of the Bible right in the palm of your hand. You have more access to the word of God than any generation that has ever preceded you. You're sitting with it right now. And God gives us the scriptures to read because those scriptures are one of the key tools that transform a human heart and a human mind. Preaching, some preaching, uh, is a tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit to, to make us think, to challenge us around the scriptures, around what God says. That's a tool that you can use. Prayer, the opportunity to come right into the presence of God with the concerns that you have, the opportunity to just be silent before God, to listen to Him, let Him speak to you, the opportunity to take the things that stress you, that challenge you, that cause fear, the things you can literally do nothing about, take those things directly to God. That is a tool that God has given to us to transform us. Communication with Almighty God, the sacraments, You know, coming to communion, partaking of the Lord's Supper, actually feeds our souls spiritually. Baptism, if you've never been baptized, you should be baptized. That's a sacrament, that's a sign, that's a seal. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But the sacraments are tools that God has given us to use so that the grace of God permeates our lives more and more. Worship, this, this thing that we're doing right now, it's one of the tools God has given us to grow, to shape us, to make us more like Jesus Even things like small groups, communion with other believers. That's one of the keys to help us grow. You speak into my life. I speak into yours. Boy, do we need that service. I serve you. You serve me. These are all tools, all uh, what has been called ordinary means of grace. That's a good one. Break that out of your small group. Ordinary means of grace. In other words, the ordinary, everyday, available means by which we grow in the grace of Jesus, which is how a character gets formed and shaped. You see, there's no getting around these tools. If you want to grow in the grace of Jesus, you've got to appreciate them. You've got to deploy these tools in your life. You've got to understand these tools and how to make use of them. You've got to let these tools work on your character to help shape it. You've got to use these tools on a regular basis. This is one of the reasons why periodically, you know, I will be challenging people to to get a plan to read the Bible. One that I've used many years uh, running is the Moravian text, which is just a Bible reading plan. You can do it over one year, you can do it over two. You're reading Old Testament, you're reading New. Why? Because you need that. My soul, my, my spirit desperately needs this. It's the Moravian text. You can get it online. One that I'm doing right now is just the Chronological Study Bible. I've read the Moravian text for many years. I decided I was going to take a vacation from that for a bit, but I was going to read through the, the entire Bible in this, in this form, the Chronological Study Bible. It breaks the Bible up in, accord to, in, in a way that is it's kind of historically... Uh, trimmed so that you're, you're reading it in the order in which it happened it's really fascinating great notes in it but there are all kinds of ways you can go about just building into your life or the regular practice of listening to and taking in the word of God friends you're not going to grow if you don't do that I don't think not like you should A daily prayer man I've said this plenty of times before but I use the Lord's Prayer almost every time I pray Not saying that's what you need to do but it's just a convenient tool also happens to be what Jesus told us to do and I always do what Jesus told us to do (laughs) I wish boy but I just found it so helpful to me the categories that are there I just pray the Lord's Prayer and with each category I just develop it and build it out for my family for myself for this church for our staff that's just what I do but you know what do you do what do your prayers look like? Do you talk to God? Do you communicate to him? Do you strengthen the relationship via communication? And again, the sacraments and communion, uh, using our gifts to serve others. You know, when we talk about our path of discipleship, reaching up, reaching in and reaching out, that's, those are some of the tools. Worship, small groups speaking into each other, studying the word of God together, reaching out, serving, you see that? We don't just do those things because we need something to do. We do them because they help us grow, particularly, specifically, they help us grow a character. If you use these tools regularly and consistently, you will build, I think, with gold and silver and precious gems. You will produce what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. Because if you want the, what's the end game? What, what What should my character look like? Well, it should look like the fruits of the Spirit. And Paul says the fruits of the Spirit are love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Every one of those fruits you need in your life, and I need in mine. Every one of them. These are the qualities of character that will stay with you throughout all of eternity. And if you do not use these tools, these ordinary means of grace, well, I will just say, good luck. I don't know what you'll produce, but it won't be fruits of the spirit. Uh, I don't know how you'll grow. You will most likely be building with wood and hay and stubble or straw. And the character you build will likely be full of things like resentment or hatred instead of love or envy, lack of contentment instead of joy or hurry or anxiety instead of peace. Judgment and condemnation for all those people around you that make you angry instead of patience. You get the idea. You won't look a lot like Jesus. You see, the cruciform life is a life lived in light of the cross. It's a life of developing the fruit of the Spirit in us using the tools that God gives us to grow. That's the cruciform life. Now, there there is a twist to all of this. And that is that my true nature, my inner life, my character is actually known only to God. I'm not even very good at knowing myself. Well, the Apostle Paul acknowledges about himself. He said, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Really, Paul, why? Why not? My conscience is clear. So as he judged himself, he thought at that particular moment when he was writing this epistle, I'm pretty good at this particular moment. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. You see, God knows us inside and out, upside and downside altogether. He sees it all about me and about you. And so Paul just knew that, and he said, so so it's really the Lord who's going to judge me. You see, one day the truth about each of us will be revealed in high definition. Remember, Paul said, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. Now, he's not talking about just any day there. He's talking about a a phrase that comes out of the Old Testament. It's uh, the day of the Lord. That's the day, you understand, of God's judgment. On that day, God will make everything clear. All mysteries get solved, at least the ones God wants to solve. Uh, All confusion will be cleared up. There will be no moral ambiguity on that day. There will be no wrongs that go unrighted on that day. And here's kind of a picture of of what that will mean, an implication of what will happen on that day. I want to try to illustrate this for you. I want to tell you about two different people. Uh, These are people who would be a part of the the ministry world that I inhabit. There's person A, and there's person B. Now, from the outside, the lives of these two people look remarkably similar. Uh, They both uh, lead and have led many folks Uh, They're both dedicated to designing programs and ministry and things of that nature so people can grow in the context of a church. They're both involved in organizational leadership. They both teach on similar or the same subjects. They both run in the same circles. They both have similar levels of public recognition and success. And yet a striking difference emerges when you get to know each of them up close and personal. With one of them, the better people get to know him, the more they love him. He's kind, he's gentle, and he's humble. He cares about people. When he's wrong, he'll admit it. He owns it. He's unhurried. Uh, There's a sense of rest in and trust in God. God will do this. God will accomplish what God wants to accomplish. This is a life-giving life giving experience to be around this person to work with this person this person treats people well this person cares about people he has what David Brooks uh, calls eulogy virtues you know Uh, those are the virtues that people talk about at a memorial service when they have to get up and eulogize someone at the end of this person's life although there is pain because the end of life is usually painful this person is able to let go of his life with enormous gratitude. His body's old and aged. He doesn't have the same titles he used to have or influence or power uh, or office for that matter, but his spirit is still filled with hope. And when he dies, there's a circle of loving people around this person. The stories that, that get told about him, the lives that have been touched by this person, the joy that he produces, well, it's pretty amazing. It's the kind of thing we would all want. But with person B... This other person, in a lot of ways, this person's life is exactly the opposite. He had what David Brooks calls resume virtues. Qualities that make for a very successful career. But the closer you get to this person's life and this person's inner circle, the more troubling the truth is and the worse the house looks. Often in private, this person treats people badly. In private... People fear this person. People are intimidated by this person. People uh, around this person find that he uses flattery. It feels like to manipulate them even. His ego is running the show. Even though the show, so to speak, is supposed to be about God. His life is full of secrets. Nobody actually really knows This person. If you ask people who work with this person, is it life giving? Is it joy producing uh, to have a relationship up close with this person? And if they're being honest, they'll say, no, it's exhausting being around this person. People are impressed by this person from a distance because this person is immensely gifted. But up close, this is a life that is empty and a life that is lonely. And when his power and his title are gone, uh, you know there are no people around this person that just love him. At the end of this person's life, you can feel him trying desperately to hold on to that little kingdom that was his, that thing that gave him his identity. That thing no longer belongs to him. He's about to lose it once and for all. You see, there are two lives that from a distance look very, very similar. But when you get up close... Wow, what a difference. It is the difference between gold and silver and precious stones and wood and hay and stubble or straw. Question, with what are you building your life? With what am I building my life? You know, my secret life, my eternal life we're talking about. Am I using the ordinary means of grace? And it's so ordinary, nobody gets that excited about any of it. But it's supernaturally powerful. Am I using the ordinary means of grace to grow in me the fruit of the Spirit? That's gold and silver and precious gems. Or am I building with wood and hay and straw? Remember, friends, the main thing God gets and wants from you and me is the person we become. So again, how are you building? How's your remodel going? Do you need to make better use of the ordinary means of grace so that you possess more and more of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? We need to examine ourselves in light of the cross. That's what we're doing in this series. That's the cruciform life examining ourselves and in this case the character we're building in light of the cross. Now I told you uh, that this passage I think presents us with several questions perhaps many but I'm going to mention two. Here's the second one. First question was with what are you building your life? The second question is do you have the right foundation? Paul has this very intriguing mysterious statement here that fascinates me. He says even when somebody who builds with the wrong materials. Even when somebody is using wood, hay, and straw or stubble, in other words, they're making a lot of bad choices. They're making a lot of mistakes. They're getting a lot of stuff wrong in their life. Even if they do that, he says they will lose some, maybe even all of their rewards. And I take that to mean some of the goodness that God wants for that person, some of that character development that God would like to see poured into that person, some of the good things that God uh, would have built into their lives, they're gonna lose that some are all, but Paul says they will still be saved. That's what he said. Paul says they will still be the kind of person who will be able to be with God through eternity if they have the right foundation. We all know that foundations are critically important. Your foundation is what you count on more than anything else. Your foundation is what your heart depends on to make you secure when your world gets shaken. Your foundation is your ultimate commitment. And as I have said many times, we human beings are notorious for trying to make all kinds of things serve as our life's foundation, things other than God. Things like money, which I would just say is a great foundation. Anybody here want more money? Yeah, why? Because we think that's a great foundation until it isn't. Or things like health. We all want great health. We need great health. That is a great foundation until it isn't. Things like looks, you know, looking good, being a good looker. That's a a great foundation. That'll take you a long, long ways until it doesn't. Hashtag aging smarts, IQ, intelligence, cleverness, social graces, great foundation. Until you're not smart enough, clever enough, witty enough, having your kids turn out just right and achieve great accomplishments, that's a great foundation, until they don't. You see, your your foundation is what your heart depends on to make you secure when your world gets shaken. Paul says no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. That's what Paul came to Corinth preaching, Christ Jesus, the cross, this thing that was foolishness to many. But he knew the only thing that people could securely build their life upon was the foundation of Jesus Christ. Because you see, if you want a foundation that can hold you up when your marriage ends for reasons you couldn't stop, if you want a foundation that can hold you up when you have a child that's suffering, if you want a foundation that can hold you up when your health crumbles and your finances fail you and your life takes an unexpected turn, when you, if you want a foundation that can hold you up when you finally realize you are just you, you are not God, well... If you want a foundation that can hold you up both now and through all of eternity, then your foundation must be Jesus Christ alone. And here's the thing, the remarkable thing. I would think that Jesus would be so sick of me going after other foundations, he'd want nothing to do with me. But here's the truth. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. I can trust him so can you I can depend I mean really depend on him and so can you I can take direction from him I can confess my sins to him and be truly forgiven and so can you You can build your life on Jesus' life, Jesus' teaching, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection. And if you do that, you will be able to stand up to any storm that life can throw your way. And you will be glorifying God. You will be building a character that will go right on with you into eternity. (laughs) You know, here's an observation that I've certainly seen in my own life, and I've, I've also been privileged to observe it in yours and that's how Jesus will take the things that life throws at us right things that are painful things that are difficult things that are confusing things that totally reorient our life and he will use those things in strange unpredictably redemptive ways when we give them to him so that those things become the most beautiful parts of your house and your character They become the things through which you learn to love others, care for others, be patient with others, serve others. They will be the things through which Jesus teaches you to have patience and contentment. They will be the things that Jesus will use to make you most like himself. Jesus does this all the time. The death of a marriage that seemed like it was going to be the end, the end of everything becomes somehow the beginning of better things the birth of a child that has special needs and when you looked at that it was a heartache because you could just see so much heartache and hurt and difficulty ahead well that actually becomes the beginning of so much joy or the death of a loved one that made you feel like life is over. How am I going to go on? That becomes the place where God develops a certain tenderness and a certain caring in you for others who've experienced that kind of loss. And a whole new way of serving opens up to you. A whole deeper way of connecting with people opens up to you. A whole new way of helping others opens up to you. He just does this all the time. A health challenge that you cannot fix creates in you a confidence and a trust in Jesus because after all, he's the only one who can fix it if he chooses to. And it creates in you a compassion for others that wrestle with serious problems they can't fix. This is how Jesus works. This is how Jesus builds houses and develops character. Jesus is without question the master builder. And I would ask you what foundation are you building your life on? What foundation? The cruciform life if we're going to live it says don't achieve more, don't get more results, don't find a way to get God to like it. No, no, no. No, no, get rid of all of that and build your life your character, your day-to-day decisions, making use of the tools, the ordinary means of grace that God gives you, develop the fruits of the Spirit in your life, and you will be building your life on Jesus Christ. That's your one sure foundation. Now, next week we're going to talk about the subject of baptism. What a weird thing. Why are we talking about that? Glad you asked. Because anybody who has made a decision to follow Jesus and decided to make Jesus the foundation of their lives. When you do that, well, your next step, if you haven't been baptized, perhaps as an infant or something, then your next step is baptism. What's the point of it? What does it do? Why? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. Those are good questions. Thank you for asking them. And next week we're going to see that baptism is it's a washing, it's a, it's a cleansing in water that, that actually is commanded by Jesus for his followers. It's a sign, it's a seal of an inward cleansing, an inward washing. It's being counted righteous in the sight of God and being given the righteousness of Jesus. And I've been saying now for several weeks that all of us need to make Jesus the foundation of our lives. And if you have not done that, you need to do that. And you can do that today. You know, I, I, I only share this because it's just cool. It's just something that God and God alone does Last week, we had six folks indicate that they wanted to start following Jesus. Yeah, yeah, amen. That's such a huge, huge decision. Such an incredibly important Decision, And yet all of us who maybe years and years and years ago made that decision, we need to be uh, challenged and reminded to live the cruciform life, the life where the very foundation, what I'm doing with my life day to day to day to day. It's all based on the foundation of Jesus. Using the tools he gives me, developing the character that is like his, And so, again, I challenge you this morning, if you haven't, take your sins to Jesus. Ask for his forgiveness. He will forgive you. That's what the cross is all about. And die to building a house of ego and a house of envy and a house of accomplishment and a house with a great resume and a house of hurry and a house of anxiety and ask Jesus to become the leader and the bedrock, the foundation of your life. You see, a long time ago, there was a carpenter, a master carpenter, knew more about building character, building homes, building lives than anybody. And he went into the house building business. And here's the thing, he's still in that same business today. And if you let him, he will build you a beautiful house with a magnificent view. And he'll reward you for cooperating with him in the process. What, how incredible, how incredible. Pray with me. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the remarkable gift of life, this life that you've given us. Forgive us, God, that very often we're casual about the way we build. We throw away moments and hours and days and even years of our lives. And we build with wood and hay and straw. God, would you help us, everybody here who's constructing a life to build it with the tools you give us? Would you help us to use your word and prayer and worship and communion in ways that build into our lives the fruits of the Spirit? Give us a character like Jesus' character. Father, help us to do whatever we need to do to make whatever changes we need to make to be people you want us to be. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.